Welcome to Passages Voice. This episode was originally recorded as part of the digital speaker series, where we meet famous leaders in the church, business, and politics to discuss faith and leadership. To learn more, visit the Passages Leaders Network or follow us on social media at Passages Israel. Enjoy. Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Jenilyn Weed, and I am the Associate Director of Campus Relations here at Passages. It is an honor today to host Dallas Jenkins, the creator of the TV series, The Chosen, and a little bit about Dallas. So Dallas, the son of celebrated Left Behind author Jerry Jenkins, first produced the independent feature Hometown Legend at the age of 25 and shepherded it to distribution by Warner Brothers. In the nearly 20 years since then, he has directed and produced over a dozen feature and short films for companies such as Universal, Lionsgate, PureFlix, Hallmark Channel, and Amazon. His most recent film, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, released in theaters in 2017. He's now the creator of the largest crowdfunded media project of all time, a multi-season series about the life of Christ entitled The Chosen. Dallas, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing on this fine Monday? I'm good. I'm a little exhausted. Uh, last night we had a huge Christmas special that was uh, on our Facebook and YouTube channel. Still there, actually, if you want to check it out, with a bunch of huge musicians that came and performed music, uh, you know, original Christmas music for our special. And so uh, that was a big that was a big deal. All while we are in hiatus on season two, editing the first half of season two, writing season three, getting ready to go back to shoot uh, in just a couple of weeks. So. I know that's a long answer to your question, but these days when someone says, how are you doing? The answer is not uh, fine. It's always, I'm trying to stay above water as much as I can. So things are, things are busy, but that's a good thing. God's doing some great things. Absolutely. Yes. I caught the Christmas special last night to our audience. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out on Facebook. It was incredible seeing multiple bands and artists come together and participate in this and to see a special sneak peek of season two. Now, audience, don't forget, you can submit questions in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. And if you are a Passages alum, you can join the live chat about our conversation on the Passages Leaders Network as well. So Dallas, I'd love to just jump into some questions for you, starting with a little bit of your story. So you've worked in the entertainment industry for about 20 years. And in your experience, what are the biggest challenges for Christians in the entertainment industry? And why did you choose to work there? That was a great question. Well, I think the biggest challenge is that you are entering an industry that is almost exclusively dominated by people who don't share your faith, don't share your worldview. Um, and they, they have all of the, the, I mean, they have the, the vast majority of the money, the vast majority of the influence uh, for, for this industry around the world. Now that um, in and of itself can be challenging, but there are lots of industries that are like that, where if you're a Christian, um, it's tough to kind of fit into certain industries because there's not a lot of Christians there. So that that's challenging. But what makes it more challenging is that the fact that they don't align with your values doesn't necessarily mean that they're hostile. Now, sometimes they can be, but 
it means that they don't necessarily understand your audience or know your audience even exists. And so when you're trying to convince people that there's going to be an audience for your particular story or project, uh, and they don't even know that audience exists, that's very difficult to convince them to be involved. Then when you do it, so for example, I had a feature film just a few years ago that was partnered with some of the biggest producers in Hollywood. They were really excited about it. It was faith-based. They'd seen other faith-based movies that had done really well. Well then, so that's great news. Then you get to the point where they're supposed to distribute it and market it and make it a big deal, connect with the audience, but they don't know that audience and they don't even know where that audience is. And so um, you're, you're trying to connect them. You're trying to get people who do have experience with that. Um, and then if it doesn't work, like, like uh, you know, my, my project, it's um, not a secret that my project ended up not doing well at the box office. Um, then they, they don't have the, the stamina to keep going and keep trying. Because they're like, well, we'll just stick to what we do best. We'll stick with the audiences that we know. So there ends there ends up being this large audience that oftentimes doesn't get serviced because the only way to do it is by doing it yourself. And that's ended ultimately ended up what we did with the Chosen, and it's ultimately proven to be a significantly successful project so far. But uh, that that is it's definitely a challenge to to get to that place, and you have to invent the wheel and you have to start over, which is what we, we've done with The Chosen. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes right into my next question, which is, what was your inspiration for creating The Chosen? And what do you think sets it apart? So my inspiration was, um, you know, I, I did a short film for my church's Christmas Eve service uh, back in 2017. This was coming on the heels of my career disappointment. My big feature film that I'd done with Hollywood had uh, disappointed at the box office. I didn't know if I had a future. And um, so for my church's Christmas Eve service, I did this 20 minute short film about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. And uh, so when that, that was only intended for my church. And while I was doing it, I was, we, we took the story of Christ's birth that we know from scripture. And then we, we added some historical context and some cultural context because the story in scripture is actually quite short. So we, we invented this notion of what the shepherds were doing earlier that day before they encountered Christ. And um, it was all based on history and, and, and what we knew of the, of the culture at that time and what shepherds did. So none of it was contradictory to scripture, of course. But I was like, boy, this is really cool. And I'd been doing these kinds of short films and vignettes for several years and always had an incredible response. I always felt like I was in my wheelhouse. The same time I'm watching, you know, shows with my wife, binge watching shows while I'm working out or watching with my wife at night. Um, all these great shows like Downton Abbey and Breaking Bad and, um, you know, Friday Night Lights and all these shows that we love. And I'm like, you know, there's never been a multi-season show about the life of Christ. And if we did that, unlike other movies or miniseries that have been done, you can really dig into the stories and dig into the characters in a way that you can't do in a movie or miniseries. We can follow them from season to season and really get to know these people, which is what causes you to love shows so much, multi-season shows, is that you connect so much with the characters and you wanna see what happens to them. So I just, that, that was the idea for the show. And so the short film ended up, very long story short, getting in the hands of a streaming service, they love the idea of the show. They believe that we should use the short film as a crowdfunding tool to raise money for the for the show, which I thought was ridiculous and would never work. And um, you know, as we all know, that that short film ended up launching the crowdfund. We ended up shattering the all-time crowdfunding record, raising well over ten million dollars from nineteen thousand people around the world for season one. 
and uh, the rest is history. Now, what I think sets it apart, besides the fact that it's a multi-season show, so that's never been done before about Jesus, but I think the main thing that sets it apart, what I think people are responding to the most and what they say when they respond to it, is that it feels very human, feels very authentic. Um, we're obsessed with making this portrayal be an authentic portrayal, not only of Jesus, but of his followers. So they feel like human beings. We feel like if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, you can be changed and impacted in the same way they were. And the only way to do that is for you to truly understand that their problems were our problems. They had the same questions. They had the same struggles. Now, it looked different 2,000 years ago, but the same heart cry, the same financial issues or the same sickness issues or marriage issues or whatever it is that they struggled with, we struggle with today. And so we can identify with them. And by doing that and portraying them authentically, and they sound like normal people, they don't sound like cardboard cutouts or someone doing a Shakespearean melodrama like what we often see in Bible projects where they, they, they talk like they're quoting scripture. They don't seem like real human beings. Um, I th think that's what's been different about it. And that's what's caused people to connect with it. And ironically enough, even though they're connecting with the humanity of Jesus and his followers, that enhances their belief in the divinity of Jesus, their connection with the, uh, with the godness, the godliness, the, 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 I don't know how, what word to use, the godness of Jesus. And of course, we're doing this uh, discussion on, um, on, on your channel, this is Israel-focused uh, uh, program. And I think the Jewishness of Jesus, the Jewishness of the story, the cultural aspects of the story, we really work hard, even though I'm not Jewish, to get that right as much as possible without it being, you know, a documentary, but I'm really trying to weave that in. And I think that lends itself to the authenticity, which I think a lot of people are responding to. Yeah, absolutely. I have had so many friends who have just discussed how much they love the authenticity of the show. And like you said, how human it is, how real it is. I've had several friends who are Middle Eastern who have said, yes, like that is what it's like. They just would laugh, like, you know, seeing um, things about Shabbat and um, just certain cultural aspects. And so I've had so many friends who have texted me or called me and said, this show just feels real. And yes, that. Um, it's been amazing to see how set apart it is because it is having that historical cultural context. And so thank you for uh, thinking of that because yeah, a lot of us have had, you know, that experience with, you know, Christian um, media or films or like participating in shows at our churches. And it's very stoic, you know, Jesus is very stoic, but he was very humanized in this. And so uh, this is, you know, exactly what excites people. Now you mentioned this just a few moments ago, and this goes right into our next question of, you have said that you first had doubts about crowdfunding a show like this. And so why do you think that it has actually worked and is continuing to work even now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I have a good answer for that other than uh, that God has been doing something ridiculously amazing. Um, but I, I don't want to just rely on that and just say, well, God did it because, because that, that, uh, you know, that makes it almost feel like it was completely spontaneous. I would say that the short film really had a huge impact. Um, people were really emotionally connected to that. And that goes back to when we first made it, I think God does have something to say. And, and my job is to make sure that it gets said to, to people and that I'm a good steward of what he wants said. And I think that that started with that short film about the birth of Christ. Um, and so when you have a product 
like that. Um, I, I shouldn't use the word product, but when you have a project or, or a, a case study or an example of what it is people will be getting if they invest or, or contribute to the crowdfund, that makes a huge difference. So people, when they watch it, have described um, to me saying, you know, that when they watch it, their hearts were like completely torn asunder in a good way. And they just felt like they had to participate. So when we said, look, if you want to invest, now that was another thing. We said it was an investment, not a donation. So if the show succeeds, they succeed. They have a, they have literally part ownership of the show as investors. It's not just a, a crowdfund donation where they get a t-shirt for doing it. This is an actual investment. So that made a difference too, but, but ultimately, um, most of them were just, it was just all about that short film. And um, so that, that resonated. And then when season one came out, at first we were, we had this whole plan of, um, you know, you can watch the first episode for free and then you can pay to watch the rest. And, and that was proved to be very difficult. We were doing this all outside the system. You know, it wasn't, out, it wasn't within the Hollywood system. It wasn't on traditional networks. So it was really challenging to get people to watch it in the first place but we didn't think we could just give it away because then we would lose money, you know, and we, we need to be able to do future episodes and seasons. When COVID hit, we decided to make the entire season completely free and easy to access, no delays, no nothing, no subscription, no email address, no anything, just totally free, every country in the world. And as you know, streaming costs money. So like, you know, anytime you stream something around the world and someone watches it, that costs money. Um, and so we thought we're going to lose money for a few weeks, but it'll be worth it because we'll get some new viewers. And it's also just an act of goodwill during this pandemic. And then the day that we did that, the day that we made it completely free, our income quadrupled, quintupled, like immediately. It was almost as if God was saying, this is what I wanted all along. It just took you guys a while to figure it out. Um, and that's how his impossible math works. We use that term all the time in our, on our team is God's impossible math. And so... I think that when people, just letting people watch it made them evangelists for the show. They just love it so much that now they're what we call paying it forward. They can pay it forward and keep it um, going for, few, you know, we just say, look, no obligation, watch it for free, enjoy it. If you can't afford anything, that's why we're offering this is so you can watch it. But if you want us to be able to keep going, if you want this to be able to be free for every country in the world and translate it into the 70 languages that it's been translated into, if you want us to be able to do future seasons, you can pay it forward. And people are doing that like crazy and um, buying, also buying DVDs, buying sweatshirts like the one I'm wearing right now, which is based on the, the last moment of episode one, or sorry, the season finale of season one. And uh, we don't force anyone to do it. We don't, we don't beg them to do it. We just say, look, when you do this, you first get a great sweatshirt um, or you get a great DVD set or you get a great book. You know, we did a devotional book, which takes you deeper into the stories. And people really want those things. So that helps. But we say, look, that's how we do this. That's how we're able to do this. We don't have a big check from a studio. So, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, the main thing is God has something to say and he's going to get it said. And uh, so, uh, but I think we're also doing our best to really deliver content to people and, and items to people like the hoodies and the, the DVDs and books that they truly want. Absolutely. And the timing has just been Perfect. You know, as you said, when COVID first hit, you changed it so that it was free for everyone. And um, I, even speaking from my own experience, I hadn't ever heard of The Chosen before uh, Easter of this year. And I got to see the live streams on YouTube the week uh, leading up to Easter. And just being able to see that and the hope that it brings just 
completely changed my mindset. I was going through a rough patch in my faith and I just started telling everybody about it. And this show brings a lot of hope for people, especially in times such as the year 2020. And um, so I really appreciate you saying that. And so when you are creating the show and writing episodes, how do you balance staying faithful to scripture and being creative and having imagination? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts at the, at the very beginning, meaning when we are first conceiving of each season or a particular episode, and we, we make the decision that we're not going to just rely on scripture. That doesn't mean we don't rely on scripture. It just means we don't rely only on scripture for the story. So we start with scripture. We start with the key stories that we know we want to cover. We start with the end of the story, you know, Jesus's resurrection, of course, and the fallout from that. We work our way backwards to make sure that when we get there, it's extraordinarily impactful so that we set up the characters, we set up the backstories, um, we, we are introducing you to what life was like. And there were, you know, the vast majority of that is not explicitly in scripture. Scripture was just designed to give Jesus's greatest hits to prove that he was the son of God and the Messiah. They weren't talking about, you know, what, 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 what each day was like. They weren't talking about some of the historical context like the Roman occupation and the, um, the, the, the inner fighting among the infighting among the Jews, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and what it was like for life. Life was like for a tax collector. You see these kind of passing mentions of it, but you don't, you don't get any kind of full picture. So um, the decision to do that in and of itself is a scary decision because you know that there's going to be people who are like, anything that's not in the Bible isn't right and shouldn't ever be talked about. Uh, so we've, we, we rule out those people off the top. We know we're going to lose them. We know that they're, we, we have people who say anything that's not in the Bible should never be portrayed. And uh, so we're just like, all right, we, we're, we're okay with those people not watching the show. But we still want to be very careful. We can't contradict scripture. We can't contradict the character of Jesus um, or of, of these storylines. But the decision to do it, um, that's already been made. So as long as we believe that we are not contradicting the story or the intentions or the character of Christ or the message, and we believe that we're historically accurate and, and culturally accurate as much as we can be, like I said, without being a boring documentary, we have consultants that make sure that we are on the right path. But then, um, you know, prayer and, and making kind of checking ourselves, making sure that we're, we're within the bounds of what we've set for ourselves. Um, then it becomes just a matter of want, concentrating on writing a great show. And that's really, really difficult. So it is extraordinarily difficult to write a good piece of content. I mean, that's why most movies aren't very good and most shows aren't very good. The good ones really stand out. So um, that alone is a challenge. So, um, you know, we've made the decision to do it. We've made the decision to include historical research, con you know, cultural context, artistic imagination and scripture to tell these stories. And uh, so we just concentrate on making it as good as possible. And um, so it's, it's, it's not easy, but, but it's never easy to do a show. So that's just part of it. And, and in, in many ways, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it actually provides some, some boundaries for us and, and we don't have to try to rewrite something. We don't have to come up with something because the, the, the story there is already so rich and beautiful. We're just adding flavor. So um, it's both, it's, it's scary and fun and, and uh, beautiful all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And yes, just watching the show, uh, you know, very explicitly in my mind, you know, thinking of the scene that describes John chapter three, you know, you just had Jesus being able to quote scripture because 
thankfully, you know, that chapter had a lot so that, you know, you just added flavor. Um, but then, you know, there's other parts like when Mary hosts the Shabbat dinner, like that's not in the Bible, but you know, that's what they did. You know, they're Jewish, they're going to have Shabbat. And, um, that's, you know, what so many people appreciate about it, because I believe there's going to be seven seasons, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you have a long period of time to be able to really get into in depth with people's stories and the character development. Yeah, sorry, we, we, we don't have to go miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse. Uh, rushing through it. So you don't ever get a chance to get to know anybody. You don't get a chance to understand the true impact of what Jesus was doing um, because you're just kind of hustling from story to story. I mean, the, the example you gave of the John 3.16 thing, the scene between Jesus and Nicodemus meeting at night, um, that's a perfect example where we, we didn't include that until episode seven of season one. So you have six episodes of, besides many other stories and characters and storylines, we have six episodes to really set up what made that moment so extraordinary. So that by the time you get there, it really is um, emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually uh, impactful and fulfilling because you know the stakes, you know who's who, you know what what the consequences are of of what is being said and what led up to making it such a, a unique moment. Yeah, and like you said earlier, it just makes you know these people so real, and they were real people who lived. And like you said, you know from the Bible we get the greatest hits, but you know sometimes we can't really you know, dive in and see like, okay, what was this person's personality like? Or, you know, how did they interact? All 12 disciples, how did they interact together traveling every single day? And so uh, I think that's also something that people really appreciate about this show. Um, and so like many people in our audience today, you've been able to visit Israel as well. So how did that time in the Holy Land shape you and the Chosen? Oh, it was huge. A um, couple things about that. First of all, if you go to our YouTube channel, you just look up The Chosen on YouTube and we're easy to find. And you scroll down enough, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to see multiple videos that we did from Israel. I went over there with a Messianic rabbi uh, named Jason Sobel, who is uh, you know, an expert on biblical and historical and cultural uh, history, and, and uh, especially of our faith. So he, we, I went over there with him and we went to certain sites and talked through the backstory and talk through the context, which greatly informed a lot of the writing. Um, also, just spiritually speaking, I remember when I was in Magdala, I went to this um, synagogue that was unearthed just like 15 years ago. They discovered this in a place that clearly Jesus must have been in, and it was Mary, Mary Magdalene's birthplace. And uh, that was a profound experience for me. Um, I felt God spoke to me there, um, you know, not in an audible voice, but I really felt him uh, lay on my heart very explicitly that, um, you know, I was telling the story of his people and of his son um, with this show, and he wasn't going to let me screw it up, um, that, and, you know, that I really needed to, to understand this. And, and, uh, and so I really soaked that in, and I really spent time. Um, I didn't want to just do a tour where I'm just going spot, 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 spot. I mean, I didn't get to see Bethlehem. I didn't get to see, um, you know, J Judea. or I mean, some of the places where uh, when we focused on the Mount of Olives, um, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, I went to the Wailing Wall, you know, we w walked around um, Jerusalem, you know, but I didn't, we didn't want to rush it. Uh, and, and of course, going to Magdala, going to the Sea of Galilee, where uh, Jesus called Simon Peter. Um, all of those moments, uh, you, you know, some of them you've seen already in the show and some you, you will see. Um, you know, we visited the uh, 
the, what, what's purported to be Jacob's well, uh, which is what you see at the end of uh, season one uh, uh, with where the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman meets Jesus. So uh, it was huge. It was profound. We're going to go back, of course, multiple times. Um, but I couldn't have done the show until I at least went to Israel once and just kind of got the, uh, the spirit of it. And it made it real for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, some of the places that you said, like Magdala and the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Western Wall, all of our students have gone there. And we've heard so many stories of um, lives being impacted. And it's so great to hear that you got to go to those places and even got to go to some places that we haven't gone. We haven't gone to Jacob's Well. So maybe we should put that on our list. But uh, that is really, well, it's really- on the It's on the bad side. Like it's actually, I think it's over the Palestinian, you know, the border. So we had to, uh, I don't remember which border it was, but I just remember like we were not among Jewish friendly people when we went to the Jacob's Well. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was a, a unique experience. I mean, I got to see it, but uh, uh, so uh, just a heads up on that. Jacob's Well is, is, uh, is, is in a different part of town, I should say, uh, but it's, it's still worth seeing. Yeah, yeah. And Bethlehem's beautiful. We've, um, we've been able to take some of our students to Bethlehem. So definitely check that out the next time you go there. Um, and, you know, so many places like the Southern Steps and just so many, so many places. Um, so um, this has been a hard year for many people. There's been no doubt about that. Um, so what advice would you share from your personal journey about facing difficulty or uncertainty? Well, we don't have time to, for, to go into my, my, the whole story behind The Chosen and the whole story of my career failure, failure but I, I, I will sum it up in, in this. Um, you know, it, when you, as you talk to me now, The Chosen is in every country in the world. Um, we're generating the kind of response and the kind of resources that will allow us to most likely do seven seasons. And it, it's just God's favor is on this project to a, to a ridiculous degree. Um, and, and I'm honored and humbled by that. But um, it was not long ago when I was sitting here in my house with my wife crying and praying. It was just a couple of years ago because we were so confused because it seemed like everything had been taken away from us. My feature film, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, um, which I'm still very proud of. And if you haven't heard of it, that's kind of the reason why I'm here is because it didn't uh, get seen by enough people, but it's called the resurrection of Gavin Stone. And, and I had all this hype and setup for it. And I was working with some of the biggest producers in Hollywood and then it completely failed at the box office. And they immediately pulled out of our future plans and, and opportunities that I'd had. And I went and from being a director with a bright future to being a director with no future in just a span of a couple hours. And, um, we didn't know where we were going to be in the future. Uh, eventually, you know, moving ahead just a few months, I ended up leaving uh, my job and, and to, to do The Chosen, but I had no promise of anything. I mean, we were doing something ridiculous. I've said that word a few times already, um, but we were doing something crazy, you know, by uh, leaving my steady job to, 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 to try to do this Chosen thing that had no guarantee of success. Um, but God spoke to me through my wife and through a, fr- a friend I barely know very explicitly and very clearly it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only your job to provide the loaves and fish. And we oftentimes get caught up in our results. Even if we're doing ministry, even if we're doing a good thing, um, we think that, that you know, it needs to work. It needs to succeed. And that can be a good motivation. Um, but God wants us to do what was done in that story of the feeding of the 5,000, which is 
when that boy brought five loaves and two fish um, and Jesus deemed them acceptable, the transaction was over. What Jesus did with that was up to him. But what our job is, is to make sure that when we present whatever loaves and fish we have, that they're as good and healthy as they can be. And the rest is up to him. Now that may mean, and you know, if you're in a, if, if you're jobless at the moment, or if you're in a third world country or whatever it is, it may be half a loaf and a portion, a portion of a fish, but you still do your part to make sure that it's as good and healthy as it can be. So that if God chooses to multiply it uh, for the benefit of others, um, then, then it's good and healthy and, and impactful, but that may not happen. And so you've got to stop thinking about where it's going and you got to realize that where you're at in five years is none of your business. All these five-year plans we tend to do, uh, they're good business strategies sometimes, but I think for our personal lives and spiritually, they're, you know, it, it's, it's not, not correct. I think we need to be focused on what my wife calls the MANA program, which is every day, you know, your, your, your arms are outstretched, your hands are outstretched for that MANA that God will provide just for that day. And sometimes it's not enough for the next day. And uh, God said to the Israelites, I don't want you to store up anything. I don't want you to be thinking about the next day. If you try to store it up, I'm going to make it rot. Um, he wanted them and he wants us to be dependent on him each and every day and to not think about the increase um, in, in many ways to embrace the lack because embracing the lack can oftentimes be uh, usually is where we meet God most powerfully and most personally. Mm, that is so powerful, Dallas. Thank you so much for sharing that, especially, you know, most of our audience who's watching are college students or recent grads. And so, you know, we're told every day, okay, you have to have this plan, you have to have everything figured out. And that's not how Christianity works. You know, I love um, what you said, the MANA program. I absolutely love that because, you know, we're living ultimately for God, not for ourselves and our selfish ambitions, but we need to trust God every single day. That's what faith is. And so uh, that is just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So now we're going to be taking some questions from the audience now. So first question, David asks, uh, where did you find the historical cultural context of these stories? Well, that's multiple, multiple sources. I mean, we have consultants that we talk to uh, but I mean, you go online, there's tons of different websites. One of the problems is, is that um, because the Jewish people didn't believe in pictures, I mean, they didn't believe in, uh, in what, you know, they would consider them blanking on the term, but, um, you know, false imagery or, or I, I'm, I'm not remembering the term, but they didn't, they, they believed it was idolatrous to have, you know, drawings of things or, 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 or portrayals, visual portrayals of, of, of life or at least any, any kind of religious life. So a lot of times when you're wondering what, what they wore or what their hair looked like, I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of it's based on tradition. It's not based on actual historical evidence. And so you'll, you'll, you start doing your research and you find a lot of contradictory evidence. I mean, for example, even just head coverings. I mean, I'm, the reason I'm thinking of that is because we, we've had this debate just in the last month is it's traditional to believe that, that, that even Jewish men had their heads covered when they went into the synagogue in the first century. And that's just actually not, likely the case. And, but there are people who are adamant that that's true um, and, and who, who consider themselves or who are considered experts. And when we look at the totality of the evidence and the totality of the, of, of the uh, history, um, we, we, we ended up leaning to the fact that it seems like it probably wasn't that way until a couple years later, or I mean, a couple centuries later. Um, women, yes, but 
so there's lots of things that are contradictory that you that are hard to pin down. But um, you know, between websites, between consultants, between scripture, between history books, uh, I, I mean, there's there's none in particular that that were used more than others. It's just uh, a lot of it. So uh, if you're looking for one in particular, I, I don't think I can give it to you. But um, but it's it's uh, I think it's important to, to, to not just rely on one source either other than scripture. Uh, don't rely on just one source. Uh, kind of check it out against multiple sources. And I think you'll start to see perhaps a consensus or you'll start to see what likely makes sense. Absolutely. For example, real quick, just, to, you know, it's obvious that tax collectors were hated because, you know, we don't have a ton of history from scripture, but we know that Jesus spoke of them in the same sentence as prostitutes and um, and sinners, you know what they call, I mean, they were hated by the Jews for betraying the Romans. They were disrespected by the Romans for being Jewish. So that's, that's one that is kind of clear so that we can build a backstory of, of, of Matthew that makes sense. And, and it wasn't difficult to, to, to come to those conclusions. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And Laurel asks, what have you been most surprised to see when shooting a scene that you didn't expect or was different than when you were writing the scene originally? Wow. Well, if you, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, it, not to keep plugging for our YouTube channel, but if you go to our YouTube channel and you, and you look, uh, do this search, the miracle of the miracle of the fish. So you write that down or to, if you want to remember it, but the chosen, you know, the miracle of the miracle of the fish. Um, that's the perfect example of where none of our plans worked. None of our expectations were met. Nothing we were trying to do was going to happen. And so that whole day, that whole scene was a complete like spontaneous, we have no other option. We have provided all of our loaves and fish, literally. Uh, and there's nothing less else to do other than to hope God feeds the 5,000 in this situation. And uh, we've done everything we can. And, and then God did that. And it's, it's a, you know, it's an episode four of season one. And it's one of the easily one of the top one or two scenes in the whole show. Um, so that happened a lot, you know, where, where we just, we had a certain plan and it just wasn't executed. Um, you know, God just, again, I think God does that on purpose to make sure that we don't get too comfortable, you know, and we don't get too reliant on our own plans. So that's, that's for sure an example. Um, you know, I think sometimes I'm surprised by the performance of an actor where I'm like, oh, that wasn't my interpretation. And before I change it or tweak it to my interpretation, I oftentimes ask them what they're thinking. Um, you know, we've had a lot of actors who, when they were filming a scene, especially with with Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, um, where they, all, you know, they they start crying, you know, like they're, they're, they they can't like because it's so overwhelming. And I think that anytime we quote scripture, or anytime that that we're being faced with this question of make a choice, you know, like for example, in the scene with Nicodemus and Jesus on the roof, uh, Eric Avari, who plays Nicodemus, could not say a certain line without weeping uncontrollably. Um, it's this line where he says, Jesus says, what does your heart tell you? Um, and he's talking about Nicodemus wondering if this is all real and if this is all, you know, true. And Jesus says, what does your heart tell you? And he says, um, my heart uh, is swollen with fear and wonder and can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. Now, that's an extraordinarily beautiful line written by my co-writer, Tyler. But he could not say that line without weeping uncontrollably. And that was not in the script to cry. And, and Eric didn't plan to cry, but I think, you know, when, when you're, even though it's acting and even though it's a scene, you're faced with this choice and, 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 and then you, you say something like that, you know, you, that I'm standing on holy ground. I mean, I think it, it became a holy ground moment. Um, 
and uh, even though you know Eric doesn't hide the fact that he has a different you know different beliefs than we do, he is not a a, a Christ follower. But I don't, I don't think I don't I don't think anyone in that moment can face it without having something happen to them, and and uh, so that was certainly unexpected. Absolutely, I actually just rewatched that episode and just watched that scene, and I. You know, getting ready for this interview, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't cry right before an interview. But yes, it is so powerful. And yes, please, you know, shamelessly plug all the YouTube stuff. I've watched those videos. Every one of those videos are amazing. The Miracle of the Miracle of the Fish is a fantastic video. Um, and crazy just how you guys did that. But something that you just said um, actually relates to another question that um, our, one of our audience members has. So Kara says that several actors and actresses in The Chosen, some are major characters, are not believers, correct? So what has it been like working with individuals who don't share your specific beliefs, but are also trying to portray central characters in the biblical narrative? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's even... Um, I don't know if I want to say this because I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think this is totally true. I was going to say sometimes it almost helps because they're coming at it from an objective perspective and it helps the humanity of it. Um, but, 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 but we have believers as well who give incredible performances. So I don't think that's really uh, accurate to say, but I do think that we are trying to approach this from a human perspective, not a spiritual one. Now, before people get nervous, Obviously, the whole point of the show is a, is, a, is a spiritual point. Jesus is the savior of mankind and the son of God and, and the creator of the universe. And, and we hope that people believe that, that, that all of that is true. But when you're making the show, when you're shooting the scenes, I'm not thinking of the audience. I'm not thinking of the impact. I'm not thinking of any of those things. I'm thinking of you know, all my brain has capacity to think of, which is how do we make this a, a great scene? And that involves you know, eight different departments and 100 crew members and and, and cast and, and that who, who are trying to memorize their lines and get all this right and capture the humanity of the moment. So in the moment when we're filming and when we're writing, it's just, is this real? Is this a human moment? Is this a good show? Will this, is this high quality art? All of those things go into it. So um, whether, whether, you know, if you're portraying the role of Matthew or Nicodemus or Mary Magdalene or, or Simon Peter or, um, you know, Judas or whatever it is, you know, um, you know, a character who's, who's coming up in the future, um, you, you have to find the humanity of it. You have to, it has to feel real. And so you can't be thinking about whether or not this is some sort of spiritual impact. And uh, the actors that we have, believers or not, love the scripts. They love the characters. They love the history. And they know that this happened in history. Um, whether or not the miracles, they believe that the miracles happen. You don't need to believe that to still make the scene what it is. I mean, when I watch a show like Game of Thrones, for example, or I, you know, or, or Harry Potter or whatever, Lord of the Rings, I know that those didn't actually happen. And I don't believe in the, in the worldview of the characters that are portraying it um, or, or the, the magic that's taking place in Harry Potter, but I still can enjoy the show. I can still, and if I was an actor, I could still portray it as, as though it's real. So it hasn't really been much of an impact. And in fact, the beauty of it is, is you've got some actors who, whose lives have been changed by doing the show and who are asking questions and finding answers that they hadn't had before. So that's been a, you know, one of the cool outcomes of it. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, we have uh, one last question from the audience portion of the Q&A that is very popular. Several people would like to know what character you relate to the most. Well, so saying that, asking me that is almost like asking, you know, which of your children do you love the most? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I 
I, I, I really do. And I say this because I'm, I'm the final writer, you know, I have two co-writers who are geniuses and um, they do the bulk of the work on the front end, but I ultimately it's my voice and it's my, my story that I'm telling obviously based on God's story. But um, so I, there's a piece of me in all of the characters really um, you know, th there's that, that's how any show or movie works. Um, and, but I would say, you know, it's, it really is hard. I, I've been asked this question before and I'm like, gosh, I don't know if there's one that I truly relate to more than any other. I mean, I can relate to Nicodemus being a lifelong follower of God who then starts to have some questions about the tradition that he's part of. So, I mean, I can relate to that as being a lifelong believer, but starting to question some of the dogma of my, of maybe the church that I'm attending or some of the things that I've heard from my childhood that are, you know, as I get older, I'm like, well, that's actually not as scriptural as it is traditional. And, or I think that actually might be a misinterpretation of scripture. And, and then, and then does that actually rock my faith? Um, you know, d does that make me um, question everything? Or does it just make me question that part, you know, and, and, and it all comes back to Jesus and it all takes me back to Jesus. And that's what the show is, is I'm like, all right, there's theological debates that count that come, but most of them are based on what happened after Jesus was here. Um, and so let's really focus on Jesus and what's his message. And so, um, you know, I can relate to Simon Peter and, and kind of his desperation to, to do anything it takes to protect his family and to protect his livelihood. Um, I can, I can relate to Matthew and the fact that I have a daughter who's aut autistic and, um, you know, I, I really know the special needs world very well. And so portraying Matthew as having Asperger's or being on the autism spectrum is something that I can connect with. I have a little bit of that myself. Um, so, I mean, I, I really, I really, there isn't one character, you know, there's a new character. I will say this, there's a new character, uh, in season two, uh, the character of Philip, who's one of the disciples who we portray as kind of being a little bit of the the connector of people. Like he likes putting people together. He likes finding their strengths and weaknesses and, 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 and encouraging those. Um, and he kind of becomes a quasi leader in many ways. Um, uh, although he and Simon kind of duke it out a little bit for leadership roles. I can for sure relate to that, that, that notion of, of, of being comfortable around people, being a bit of a leader, being liking, you know, connecting different people's strengths and building a team. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think, uh, I hope that everyone who watches can can identify maybe most with one character, but see themselves in a lot, you know, because I think especially like the 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 the, the scenes between Eden and Simon, Simon and his wife, uh, a lot of those are are based on or influenced by my wife and me. My wife is very strong, but also very loving, and uh, so you know those scenes for sure. Even the arguments, uh, you know, some of those sound a little bit like like uh, my wife and me. I love that. That is so special. Wow. I don't think I knew that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also for giving us a sneak peek into Philip. I don't think I knew that about him either. So I'm really excited for that. And um, speaking of season two, so, you know, we can't end this interview without asking when does season two come out and what should we look forward to? So season two is going to come out at least the first episode by Easter. Um, because of COVID, because of so many factors, things have been delayed a lot, excuse me. Um, so, excuse me, a little uh, air bubble come up. Um, so uh, we're, I don't, we're not, definitely not gonna be able to get all eight episodes out by Easter. Might not even be able to get the first four, but we should be able to do something by Easter. So that's our plan. And then shortly after Easter, you should be able to see 
uh, episodes rolling out. Um, I think the, the thing to, to look forward to the most is, and then as we mentioned earlier, by the way, the Christmas special should hopefully tide you over because it's an extraordinary special. There's 11 musicians who give great performances. We have monologues co-written by our, I mean, written exclusively by our co-writer, Tyler, um, that are really extraordinary, beautiful. Um, and then we give a sneak peek of season two. Like we give two and a half minutes of footage of season two that I think will hopefully tide you over for a little bit. But um, you're gonna see what happens when Jesus's fame starts to increase. You know, at the end of season one, which you can see in my, my hoodie here uh, that I'm wearing, this is the final sh you know, shot of season one where the disciples and Jesus are walking off into the sunset and, and there's a song playing called Trouble. And it talks about, it says, trouble's gonna find you here. It's a song we wrote just for that scene. And uh, it's about the good kind of trouble and the bad kind of trouble. Um, you know, we see people coming to Jesus for healing and redemption, which is great. And, uh, and we see him stirring up the pot, which is great, but it also brings a lot of trouble. Um, it really upsets a lot of people. So you see how that impacts the ministry. And then you also see how the disciples, as more people are added to the team, some of the infighting, you know, you still got to deal with Matthew and Simon. They do not like each other. And uh, that's got to be worked out. We didn't touch up. We didn't get too much into that in season one. We're going to get into that in season two quite a bit. Um, once you get redeemed by Jesus, does everything change immediately? Do you, do you not have any temptations or do you ever, do you never relapse? Um, I would say the answer is, is most assuredly, yes, you do still struggle. We see that in the scriptures with Simon. I mean, Simon was following Jesus for a couple of years and still did some grievous things, um, you know, uh, around the time Jesus died. Um, Jesus called him Satan at one point. So, I mean, you, you know, you still struggle. And so we're going to see, we might see a little bit of that. You might see some of our beloved characters not be so beloved all the time. Um, so that's for sure. Uh, a hint. I mean, I think even in the two and a half minutes, there's a, there's one shot of Mary Magdalene where she doesn't look like Mary Magdalene. She looks a little bit like Lilith, um, you know, kind of her, her, her alter ego. Um, so uh, that's just a little, little teaser about, uh, <laughs> about what may or may not happen. I, I'm not, obviously the details of it and the nuance of it, we'll see, you'll see in season two. And it's not like she gets demon possessed again or anything, but, but you'll, you'll see some, you'll see some things in the characters that show that not all just, becomes perfect once you follow Jesus. Absolutely. Your past is still a part of you. So absolutely. And yes, everyone, if you haven't seen uh, the Christmas special, Josiah put the link in the chat uh, and especially see the, um, the sneak peek of season two. It was incredible. I was like, oh my gosh, I might have to watch this again um, just because it was so good and just looking forward to it. Um, now, before we end, I just want to ask you, Dallas, if you had any last remarks before we say our goodbyes. I don't think so. I mean, I th thanks for doing this uh, to you who are, to you watching. I appreciate you, you joining us and I hope that you will um, continue to, if you haven't seen the show yet, then of course you should see the show. Um, and the app is really easy to find. It's totally free. You can watch the show completely free and easy. Connects directly to your streaming devices. No subscription needed uh, from, you know, so that's super easy. But if you have seen the show and you're just waiting, um, we really do need your prayer. We do need your support. Um, even if you can't do it financially by paying it forward or by getting our, our merchandise like this hoodie. I'm only, I, I wasn't planning on talking about this hoodie on the, on the chat, but then when I saw it, I'm like, gosh, just, I really do love this. And it does, it's the most comfortable hoodie I've ever owned. So, uh, so when you do that, you really do help us continue to, to make this show free. But uh, you said a bunch of our college students, so college students are poor. So ask your parents uh, to get you for Christmas uh, these, uh, this wonderful, lovely, um, these, opportuni these opportunities. And I just actually, 
just to do one one final sales job, I guess. Because I do think when I was in college, I wanted stuff like this. So that's the only reason I'm saying this. But like we have this special edition DVD, which is out. Um, and, and if you, uh, it's got six discs on it. Sorry if this is loud. Like this is six discs. That, so the quality is extraordinary, you know, unlike any other DVDs. And we've got tons of special features like commentaries, DVD commentaries, and um, an insight track where you can watch the episodes with things coming along the screen that are little tidbits of information, including Jewish history. So things like, like when you're watching the scene of Shabbat, we, do, we, do, we talk about where the term comes from and, and what the tradition was. And so we do a lot of those little things to kind of enhance your experience, experience watching that. So you can get that at the app. Uh, you can order the DVD or just look it up on, on, the, on the store, which is thechosen.tv. But I don't want to overwhelm you with links. But, uh, but anyway, those kinds of things not only support the show, but I, th I really think they're going to enrich and enhance your experience, not only with the show, but with the Gospels. Absolutely. I love that. I think I might ask my parents for that for Christmas. Um, <laughs> and thank you so much, uh, Dallas, for this fun conversation. Thank you for taking precious time out of your day to just spend some time with us and getting to hear a little bit more about your story. So we are huge fans of The Chosen and we wish you the best. To our audience, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoy this opportunity. Have a great day, everyone, and Merry Christmas. From Passages, this is Josiah McGee. If you have a topic you would love to dive deeper into, email me at josiah at passagesisrael.org for more information. Thanks for listening.